Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Bob Moran, who is a multi-award-winning British illustrator and cartoonist. And in 2020, as the coronavirus crisis unfolded, Bob adopted a position of staunch opposition to all government measures and restrictions. He believed what was happening was immoral, unlawful, and unnecessary. I found his cartoons during COVID-1984 and have been sharing every single uh, cartoon pretty much uh, ever since on all of my social media platforms. Thank you for taking the time, Bob. How are you doing? Thank you. Yes, uh, I'm doing good. Thanks. I'm I'm tired like we all are uh, from everything that's going on. But um, uh, it's, you know, I've I've never felt more inspired and motivated to work. So, um, you know, I'm doing okay. Yeah, the, that's good. And I, I'm glad that you uh, took the position that, that you did and, and, and you stood up. I've seen some of your talks, which were uh, fantastic. And maybe if you could just tell us a bit about yourself, your background pre-COVID. Everything now is dated like pre-COVID and post-COVID. So just a little bit about your background. Yeah, the uh, the before times in, in the world we thought we lived in. Um, I have a relatively uh, normal background, I suppose you would say. And um, I decided at a young age that I wanted to become a newspaper cartoonist and do political cartoons and uh, went through school uh, doing cartoons for everybody. And um, I went and did a degree in illustration and winded up uh, working for um, The Guardian briefly about 11 years ago and then the um started working for the telegraph newspaper here in england in 2011 and um was there uh until the end of last year um i ended up being their main cartoonist um doing four cartoons a week and i was a full member of staff um and i was fired by the telegraph at the end of last year for um, ostensibly for, on the face of it, a couple of tweets, but in reality, it, it, there was more to it than that. Um, I think uh, there'd been a lot of friction growing between myself and the paper for a while because of my position and my unwillingness to bend on certain issues, particularly the vaccines, or not really vaccines, but the, you know, the injections. And um, so they fired me, um, and I'm now working for the Democracy Fund, which is a Canadian charity. And uh, I produce three cartoons a week through them. And I make them available to any publisher in the world, uh, any platform, a a blog or a website or a magazine, newspaper. Anyone can download my stuff and use it free of charge. Yeah, I recall you getting uh, fired. I was following that. online but i would also say i mean it's great that you got this uh, um, job with the democracy fund and uh, i as well you know when i taught in academia here in mexico i got classes taken away and i was i've been deplatformed geopolitics and empire and i i just uh, got a new show on tnt radio live over a month ago and so uh, that just goes to show that you shouldn't be afraid to speak out um often you'll get newer and better opportunities to do what you really want to do, uh, being honest to yourself and honest with uh, the world. And uh, let's go down the the Corona uh, rabbit hole. You know, I tend to ask my guests because each guest has a different, slightly different nuanced take on 
what I call COVID-1984 or COVID-911, as some people call it. Basically, <laughs> yeah. basically this medical tyranny, this biosecurity state, which has flavors of eugenics and and I, I openly say Nazism in, in some ways. And, you know, what, um, how, how do you explain the last two years? You know, what's your take? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, when you, uh, um, when you talk about uh, being awake, you know, people describe themselves as awake now. Um, and I think a lot of people on the other side misinterpret that as, as, uh, as if we woke up one day and decided we knew the answers to everything. And it's the exact opposite. It's more like we woke up one day and realized we didn't know anything. You know, that's the point. And so we embark on this, this journey to work out what the hell is actually going on. Um, and through that, you, you gradually um, gain an impression that it's not just about the past couple of years. You know, there's a there's a whole history of deception and um, uh, humanity having truth withheld from the from the uh, the common people, um, and it's uh, you you go down different uh, levels with every passing week, every passing month. I mean, the things I would say to you now today, some of them, if we'd done this interview six months ago, I would have thought were mad, um, you know, or, or unhelpful or, or just nonsense conspiracy theory. But um, with every, as you get to each level, what I find is that you, you explore what's there because you're trying to find satisfactory explanations. And often there'll be, there'll be too many holes. Um, there'll be too many things that don't quite connect. Uh, you still have these big questions. So you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And it, unfortunately, in some ways, the deeper you go, the more satisfactory the explanations seem to be, the fewer holes there are. You get down to some of the really dark levels and realize that um, some of the potential explanations there join up all the dots and connect everything. But what I always say is that the starting point, or certainly the starting point for me and, and what you described there in the introduction is simply understanding that what has been done is completely wrong on so many levels, um, morally, democratically, scientifically, logically, it, it just, I knew it didn't make any sense. I knew it was incredibly dangerous. We were going in a really dangerous direction and so it needed to stop. And to hold that position, you don't need to entertain any kind of conspiracy theories. You don't need to believe there's any kind of agenda. Um, there are some people who immediately will argue, um, if you put, put this to them, they, they will say, and this happened at the beginning a lot, but why, why would they be doing this if it didn't make sense? As if the lack of motive meant that the crime didn't exist. You know, it's like, I, don't, I can't tell you why they're doing it, but it is what they're doing. So let's stop it and then worry about why. You know, that was my position, first of all. Uh, and you know, when I took this position at the beginning and um, started to produce cartoons, uh, calling it out and sh trying to show the moral insanity of it all. I didn't feel like I was going to be any kind of outlier, you know, in my profession and 
in wider society, I, I thought, well, yeah, it seems like I'm the first person in my field to say this stuff, but I've, I completely expected that within the coming days and weeks, everyone else would be joining me because it's so obvious. You know, you just think this is not that it's not like um, in this country, we had the whole Brexit debate about leaving the EU and there um, it was much more nuanced in the sense that there were legitimate arguments on both sides. It was a hypothetical thing. It wasn't something we were going through at the time. It was something that was going to happen in the future. Some people thought that, you know, it would be a bad idea. Some people thought it would be a good idea. So there were grounds for legitimate debate, if you like. But with this, I just thought there is no other side to this argument. You know, there, there is no legitimate position for arguing that lockdowns are okay or closing schools are okay and that, that in the context of what we know about illnesses, that there's any emergency here, that there's anything unprecedented going on. So you think that it can't carry on. The government will have to just stop it and back out of it. And um, in those early days, you thought, well, there's there's a way they can do that quite easily. You know, they can claim that it, they overreacted or that they had to be cautious at the start or they were misled by China, whatever. Um, and then we'll all move on. And that didn't happen. And I did, I, I suddenly realized nobody was following me. Everybody was going the other way and supporting the idea of lockdowns and then masks and um, closing the schools. Um, most of the other cartoonists in this country were producing essentially supplementary propaganda for the government. And uh, I, yeah, and you know, you suddenly realize that you're kind of alone. Um, and that in itself is very confusing and prompts you to start asking deeper questions, I guess, about what is actually going on here. Um, so then you start to look at, uh, you know, who is, who is doing this stuff. And that's to an extent easier to, to answer because some of them are telling us, you know, they're, they're openly telling us uh, our politicians, but it was sort of became clear that our politicians weren't really making these decisions and, and doing these things. They have these teams of scientific advisors who definitely seem to be running the show much more than the politicians. You have these international organizations, you have certain individual figures um, like Klaus Schwab, for example, and then you have... Um, the usual suspects of these incredibly powerful families who seem to have been interfering for generations in world affairs. Um, and there's a sense that possibly behind all of them, there may be um, other people who we don't see, you know. Um, and then you have the question of, okay, uh, what is it that they've actually done? And this is a key question and i think there's a lot of disagreement on our side among people who are opposed to you know, everyone's agreed that what's happening is wrong but when you start to explore what has actually happened um that's when you can get a lot of um different views even among those of us who are opposed to it uh has there been a completely new virus that they made in the lab and released in 
China? Was it released by accident? Was it released on purpose? Um, was it a virus at all? Uh, have they just relabeled flu? You know, there's a, there's one school of thought that says they haven't done anything at all, and they've just completely manufactured a situation using data and um, uh, fear propaganda. Um, and shown us, you know, they've taken an existing situation, which is people dying all the time, uh, mainly elderly people every day with um, essentially pneumonia, uh, a situation that people aren't aware of, um, quite reasonably not aware of, because if we were made aware of it, we'd all go mad in the way that we have. Um, and they've just made us focus on it. They've just said, "Look, look at the look at these graphs. Look how many people are dying," and, and called it an, an emergency. To an extent, there is some truth in that. Certainly, um, everything has been exaggerated. Everything's been deliberately shown out of context. But there is this other feeling that um, I I've come to the view now that I don't think it's the case. That there's been nothing at all going on in terms of an illness. Um, I mean, there. I think there has been something, and this is sort of you have to kind of separate this between uh, post-vaccine and pre-vaccine because once the vaccine, the, the vaccines, the injections come in, it all gets a bit complicated. But but during that time when we we're allegedly in this pandemic of a new virus. Um, I I wonder if there was a new kind of illness, not necessarily a virus, but but something unusual. That doesn't necessarily mean particularly serious, but something weird that was making people ill that some people were observing in hospitals uh, in a clinical context and saying, you know, oh, there, there is a pandemic because we haven't seen this kind of thing before. I had um whatever it is um and if you go right back to the start the doctors and scientists were a lot more specific about what this illness it was supposed to be in terms of symptoms and then gradually over time they added to it until it's like if you stub your toe it's covid you know if you <laughs> um anything at all but at the start um it was very specific, as in you totally lose your sense of taste and smell uh, completely. Uh, you have like a shortness of breath and you may get a cough, but you absolutely do not get any kind of congestion. You won't be sneezing. Um, there's no kind of fever or headaches or anything like that. And, and so it did sound like maybe it was something new. Now, I, like many other people, didn't really know anyone who was getting ill like that, um, for the, certainly for the first year. Most of the people you spoke to who said, oh, yeah, I've had, I've had COVID, I've had it. And you say, oh, what, what was it like? And they just say, well, it's just a cold. You say, well, well, yeah, just like a fluey cold, you know, and I was sneezing a lot. And you'd say, well, they, you, that's not it then, is it? Because they said you don't sneeze. And they didn't make that connection. Anyway, um, at the towards the end of last year, maybe autumn time, I became ill in a very weird way. Um, in that, 
I'd been I'd been out cutting my grass and I was filling up my mower with petrol and realized I couldn't smell the petrol at all. And I, you know, I shoved my nose right into the can. I couldn't smell anything. And then I went in to eat lunch, couldn't taste any of the food. And I kind of went mad and I was trying all the different things in my fridge to see if I could taste anything. It was nothing. Um, and then I started become very, to become very kind of drowsy, like tired. Um, it felt a bit like the early stages of a hangover when you, you're kind of just a bit sleepy and spaced out. It wasn't, um, it wasn't that uh, unpleasant, if you know what I mean. It was just kind of odd. And I thought, well, this is interesting because this sounds like what they described at the beginning. Um, it lasted for about 10 days and it didn't really develop from that. I just felt like that for about 10 days. And um, in a different context, if that had happened to me three or four years before, I would probably have gone to the doctor and said something weird's happened to me. It did not feel like a respiratory virus. It didn't feel like I had a, a virus at all. It didn't feel like any thing I've ever had before. The, the closest thing I could um, liken it to would be uh, being poisoned. It felt like I had some kind of toxin, like I'd been drugged. And I know of three other people in my whole circle of friends and family who've experienced that same thing that I had that in the whole two years, just three people, um, all exactly the same. All of us had gone away to a city, a big city, and then come back and have this thing. All of us had tried desperately to pass it on to other people and not been able to, couldn't transmit it to anybody. I find that really interesting. Um, I, don't, I think that, that that may be the thing that's been spread about. I, d I think it's very rare. I don't think many people have actually encountered it. Um, most of the people who think they've had COVID have just, you know, it's a positive test. And uh, obviously I didn't do a test. I would never test or anything like that. But um, I, I think that suggests to me that maybe there has been something new spreading around, you know, and it, uh, I, I find it interesting that it, it felt to me like a poison, like a toxin. Uh, a lot of the um, analysis about what these injections actually are will describe them as a toxin, essentially. Uh, has the whole thing just been one mass poisoning of humanity under the guise of a virus? Um is that is that what's been happening for a long time and viruses have just been blamed? I don't know. I find these ideas really interesting now, whereas I would have just dismissed them before. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. 
One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, I'm, 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 on, I'm on similar lines uh, as you are, and you've been answering a number of my questions along the way. And um, I also was down, I, I generally don't believe there is a pandemic by definition. Um, yeah. But and for the longest time, I've been downplaying what they've been telling us. But uh, I do have to admit this thing about losing your smell. I think it also got to me. So again, it's like weird. How do you explain that? Um, I've also never taken a PCR test. I refuse to, which kind of goes into my next question to discuss your thought on like the what exactly it is they are doing uh, and, and why. And I think you've talked about this before because we can see it relates to other things now, because this program is continuing and they're building upon it. Uh, technocracy, right? Digital yeah, ID. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I have found articles like it's it's the Chinese system. It's operating there and then they want to spread it to the rest of the world. And I found uh, articles where in China, they scared people to get them to, to give, to do blood tests or, you know, swabs or whatever. Yeah. Um, because they scared them for what they invented some health scare but in the end they actually admitted that it was to get their dna to get their dna and why are they getting their dna it's for the social credit system because you, you i mean a lot of people know you need, you need to have all the data on the people um your biometrics iris fingerprints your uh, dna as well and so i think that this is the long-term actual goal and the cdc came out and admitted it a few weeks ago in a tweet the cd said oh by the way at least 10% of the tests that you've taken, PCR tests, are sent for, you know, DNA processing in a lab. Like, so you said this is not a conspiracy theory. Everything we're saying is is, is proven. And uh, so, you know, I wanted to, you, you, of course, depicted in your cartoons the Orwellian nature of what's going on. You had Orwell reading a book titled 2022 and exclaiming, uh, I won't say the, the, the well, bl- bloody hell or something like that, effing hell. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, you've yeah. got the, the vaccine passports are basically the digital IDs and social credit systems. Um, this is the great reset. Someone left me a review. I've got mostly positive reviews, but someone left a review yesterday on Apple podcast saying this podcast is fringe. It's too focused on impending anarchy and doom and um, yeah. rabble rousing. And the hosts and speakers have an unhealthy, almost worrying obsession with being oppressed and the and NWO. Uh, they believe is coming borderline conspiracy theorists. I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, are you out of your mind, dude? Like, yeah. I literally I literally haven't been able for years to go back to my home countries. I can't go back to America where I was born because my wife is Mexican and she's not vaccinated and she can't enter the country. I can't go yeah. back to my other home country, Croatia, because they require PCR tests. Here in Mexico, for a time, you are barred from entering into supermarkets to buy food. Like, literally, like, what planet are people? Uh, living on and so what you know what, what's your thought on on, on all, all of this stuff so yeah the social credit great reset i mean that's fascinating isn't it the the idea of um conspiracy theories is supposed to be that people 
uh, have theories about what may be going on. Um, but, you know, is generally hidden from view. And that is not really what we've seen at all. We've, we've, th this thing started and, uh, pretty, pretty, uh, soon in, into it, the World Economic Forum come out and say explicitly, this is what we're doing. It's the Great Reset. And this is what the Great Reset involves. And, you know, and here's this book we've written about it. Um, and people still want to call it a conspiracy theory. And you say, no, it's not a theory. We're living through it. It's happening. It's a conspiracy, but it's unfolding in front of our eyes. There's no theory anymore. You can theorize about what the end goal is. You can theorize about exactly how they're doing it, how long it's going to take. But uh, that is what's going on. And um, they would, people would say things like, well, Oh, they may have this plan and, and they're taking advantage of this um, situation. So they're trying to implement this thing while the real pandemic is going on. And you go, wow, what? I mean, how lucky for them, how convenient that they wrote this plan. They've had this agenda for many years. And it just so happens that the way everyone has responded to this real pandemic, in your view, uh, falls exactly not a little bit but exactly into place with what they want to do i mean come on um people have this total disconnect between the reality of the world outside their doors what they go out and see happening and what is happening in their circle of friends and family um and then what they they come inside and put on their television and the tv says no none of that's happening and they believe that it, they almost believe that what they've just seen and witnessed hasn't happened because somebody on the TV says, no, no, that's not what's going on. It's incredibly dangerous. And um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of these uh, Orwellian ideas are coming to fruition. And it's not quite, it's sort of, it's almost beyond Orwell. It's almost beyond Huxley. It's almost, I know you've had, um, other, I can't remember her name, really interesting guest you had on speaking about um, Huxley and uh, the connections between these different people and Is how... Cynthia Chung, maybe? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cynthia Chung. Um, that was really interesting. Um, you know, whether whether or not these people were trying to warn us or whether they, they were actually part of the, I, the I, I, personally, I personally believe Huxley was part of it and he was just telegraphing you know what they were going to do well there's this idea isn't there that um they that's something they need to do these uh evil elites it's part of their weird system of karma they have is that uh, they have to tell us what they're doing um so that we give them permission in a sense a bit like how a vampire can't enter your house unless you invite them in it's it's that kind of idea and and it is uh, once you gain an understanding of what's going on, and you look at it from the other way around, you 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 suddenly realise that a lot of the time they aren't trying to hide any of it. They're being really quite explicit, and the um, the clues are all there. Um, they are telling us what what they're going to do, and part of the dark uh i guess dark humor i think the, the 
is is the fact that they do that and so many people still don't believe it um this was actually you know one of my questions as well i i, I the thing that bugs me the most where you know you've done cartoons on the psychology of, of the schizophrenia of the mass formation right everyone's seen matthias desmet's uh, talks uh, or, um you know how the people have gone along and continue to go along with this madness yeah. i'm still absolutely flabbergasted by how people continue in this hypnosis in stockholm syndrome they won't snap out of it i'm reading an article yesterday our freaking governor here will not release the, the masks you still have to wear masks when you go into like institutions establishments and shop, shops i avoid them but uh, sometimes you can't like you have to go do a government uh, you know paperwork and you have to put on the mask uh, they won't remove it and they're keeping it in place and i feel like it's a placeholder for the next phase i you know we're, i was going to ask you these china lockdowns it seems like they're telegraphing what's coming this winter again i feel like they're gonna just you know it's phase two uh it's not this is not going away i mean what, what are your thoughts on this stockholm stockholm syndrome yeah the the mass formation psychosis theory is is really interesting and i think accurate um but i think the problem i have with it one problem is um that sometimes it seems to be the idea that everyone including all the politicians all the leaders everyone in the world is suffering from this condition okay it's like you know everyone went mad at the same time and i don't really see it like that i think i i see it more that you know mass formation psychosis has been used as a tool and induced in the population by the people who want to get us to this very dark place they aren't mad yeah, you know, I, they, they, I agree with that. They they will perform the theatrics and they'll put on the mask and do their stupid elbow bumping and things, but um, they don't genuinely believe in it. You know, some of the politicians might, okay, because the politicians are the useful idiots. You know, they aren't running the show. They're just the puppets in all this. But um, there is a group of people somewhere who are not suffering from this delusion. You know, they're they've induced it in the population um and the the unwillingness to let go of these things is uh complicated um and it comes a lot of it comes from the culture of virtue signaling that's been established over the past decade or more where people are and i think this is partly to do with the loss of of religion to an extent people just want to be told how to perform uh goodness how, how to seem like good people without necessarily having to worry too much about how they live and what they actually do how they actually respond to situations it's just these token gestures of if you change your profile to this if you use this hashtag if you slap this mask on your face you are telling the world that you're good and it doesn't um occur to them to to ever consider whether that thing is actually good or makes sense it's just okay this is the latest thing i need to do to mark myself out as a good person and so they're reluctant to stop doing that thing because they're confused about what that might mean and how that might be perceived um the other side of it i think is like we were talking about if you 
if you announce an emergency, if you say that we've gone into a situation where it's unprecedented and it calls for these extreme measures, mask wearing, you know, whatever people say about, oh, it's, it's not a big deal, and it, it is an extreme thing to do, to tell everybody to cover up their faces in public. You know, if you were to, if you've been in a coma for 10 years and you suddenly woke up halfway through 2020 and everyone was walking around with masks, you wouldn't think, oh, that's no big deal. You'd say, what, what the hell's going on? What's happened to everybody? And But if, if you introduce these things where, in fact, there hasn't been any change uh, in any of the metrics, in any of the parameters of what is normal, what, what situation have we always lived with all the time, then and this is one of the things that troubled me at the beginning. How do you ever back out of it? How do you ever reach a point where you say, oh, and now it's okay to take the masks off? If there was never any reason to put them on in the first place, and if if you withdraw those ideas, you risk having to address the fact that they were never needed in the first place. You know, because uh, like I say to people who are obsessed with masks, and you know, one of the things I'll say is it is so obvious. It it's just it's a really simple thing, and it just makes sense. And you say, if it makes so much sense, why haven't you always done it? What you we know how many people die of flu every winter. Why didn't you have them? I never saw you with a mask on. Masks weren't invented in 2020. They've been around for a lot for long enough, you know. Why weren't you wearing one? Um, and so that that's part of the reason I think that. But it's interesting because in this country we we've become in the UK now a, a little bit of an outlier in that they have kind of withdrawn everything and it doesn't feel there isn't the same sense as there is in other countries where um, things have just been put on hold and they're probably going to bring it all back. It's the media have largely dropped the whole narrative. Um, they're just entirely focused on Ukraine and Russia. And um, most people here now think it's all over. It's all gone. And uh, people like you and I are sort of mad for still um, flagging it up as something to be worried about. But then that's also because they don't look at what's happening elsewhere in the world. You know, look at Canada and Australia and New Zealand and um, and China. Most people here aren't even aware of what's happening in Shanghai and um, they haven't seen those horrendous videos. So, I mean, I... I'm with you in that I, I, um, I don't see how they could have gone to all of this effort and spent billions and billions of dollars on creating this infrastructure and fundamentally changing the way people think about themselves, about society, just to abandon it after a couple of years. You know, ah, oh, well, that didn't work. We'll try again some other time. They are they are going to try and see this through. They are going to try and push us back into it, whether it's with exactly the same virus or idea of the virus or whether it's something different. I mean, that remains to be seen. Um, I think a lot of what's going on with China now is uh, for, the, for the people who are seeing that, because it's so extreme and so barbaric that... Um, if they bring things back in other countries, they'll be able to say, 
oh, don't worry, it won't be like China. Though. We won't, we won't do that. You know, it's just going to be a, a light lockdown, a uh, few weeks of school closures um, to make it more palatable. You know, uh, I don't know that the Chinese connection is weird, isn't it? Because some people have this idea again that everybody else was just fooled by China. You know, China invented the lockdowns, and then all the other governments thought it was the right thing to do. And you think, what? Nobody, no leader, or no one in their administration said, "Hang on, Ch remember, it's China are doing it." So maybe that's not a good idea. I, I don't really buy that. It's, it seems more like, in some way, they're in partnership with China on some level. There was some kind of agreement of uh, you guys kick this thing off and start doing these lockdowns and. We'll follow suit. Um, I don't really, I, maybe for a few weeks, okay, you know, the, the first few weeks, everyone gets duped by China, but two years, I don't I don't really see how that works. Yeah, I've had conversations with people about that, and I, I'm tending to think, you know, Michael Reckenwald, Johnny Vedmore, uh, and, and a number of others who agree that there is this network that's infiltrated all governments to different levels um and maybe actors within those governments try to push back but we're generally seeing all nations doing the same thing and just to go back to what you said like here like i said in, in the state where i am we still have to wear the mask they won't take it off literally the governor said yesterday oh we're still deciding like well, you, sh you should still keep the mask I'm like for what and then but in the uk you said they've removed it but in my in my feed, I, I, I'm constantly getting uh, news uh, from the UK government website where they're putting in these digital ID stuff, which which is it's this is basically the thing where they used COVID to get us to use these apps, uh, and then now that's like morphing into the digital ID. So you're not seeing it, but behind the scenes, our governments are passing laws that yeah. in the, in the near future, like you're going to be obligated to like only to use only use your smartphone. To, to do anything to scan uh, QR codes. You know, they tried that in 2020 in Mexico City. You had to scan that QR code to go into pharmacies and shops. And luckily, not, a lot of people didn't comply. And so after a week, the government's like, oh, you know, I just, uh, just kidding. We're going to take away the. But I think they're going to keep trying. I see it in the different states here in Mexico. They keep coming back. They, they keep trying. And, and this is my biggest fear is that, you know, for yeah. example, a, a year ago in Mexico, they made um, for your bank app to access your bank account on your computer, desktop, laptop, smartphone, geolocation. So they know exactly where you are, which is dangerous too, because you've got criminals who knows in, in these institutions. So now they know exactly where you are. They can deny your access based on your location. So I can't access my bank account unless I turn on my geolocation. So I, anyways, you know, if you had any thoughts about, I, I feel things are going to get really bad. We're, go, we're going into a dystopian technocracy. You know, how, how bad do you think Th things are yeah good. but that's like you were saying if you if you want if your end goal is to drive humanity into this dystopian nightmare of uh of just existence okay and like total enslavement to technocracy no agency no independence of thought um uh, uh, total self-hatred you can't do it in two years you can't just do it with one pandemic of one virus, and you can't just um, keep increasing everything all the time exponentially. It's this, exactly like you were saying. They take their foot off the gas every so often. They they let it all settle and 
kind of assess where they are and they, they push it to a certain point and then they come back again and then they'll push it again a little bit further the next time. Um, this is, I think, supposed to go on for many years, uh, maybe a decade or more. And th this is why the whole incompetence argument is so stupid to me because it's very, very competent. You know, if you see that it that's their plan, you suddenly go, there's no incompetence here. It's it's really, really clever the way they're doing things, the way they orchestrate it, different countries at different times, sometimes in lockstep, sometimes there'll be one that's an outlier. Um, the timing of everything, how they decide to increase the propaganda and um, distract people with a different news story all of a sudden, and then go back to the COVID narrative and it's it's very well thought out. That's the thing. That's another thing. I don't understand why people can't see it that way. Um, and yeah, but you know that. I suppose that's the the simple answer to the question of why are they doing this is to get us there to that point. But then you have you still have a why question. You, you can talk to somebody about that and say, <clears throat> it's because they want this version of humanity. And then they'll say, but why do they want that? What ultimately, why are they going to all this trouble and risking so much? Because we forget that sometimes they're taking so many risks. What is motivating them to, to get there? And um, I didn't, it's, you know, that's hard. That's been hard for me to answer. And to be honest, that's where you start to go down these really deep rabbit holes of looking at occult Satanism, what these people might actually believe in that answers the question of why ultimately are they doing these things? Um, and it's not really, I haven't talked about this stuff in any interviews before because it's not something I felt comfortable about. Uh, I think, one thing to say about that is whether you yourself believe in it or not, the idea that they might believe in it is certainly an explanation um, to this question of why do they want to take us there? You know. Um, yeah, I've seen British elites. I mean, you could see it on video. I was shocked just a few months ago. Stanley Johnson, right, the the father of Boris Johnson openly calling out there's clips on tv saying we need to mass depopulate the planet and then boris johnson comes out i have those clips are somewhere in my geopolitics and empire telegram channel you could find them says the same thing you know prince everyone knows was a prince uh, philip saying if i could die and come back as a virus and depopulate the planet it's like yeah that's they, right yeah so i mean it goes along to what you're saying but also in popular culture now we're seeing this extreme satanism netflix uh, came out not long ago saying, uh, praise Satan, literally. And then they, they wonder why everyone's, I long ago stopped my Netflix subscription. You're seeing this, uh, the, the rapper recently who put out 666 Satan shoes and was having um, anal yeah. sex with the devil in his yeah. video. I'm like, what you're saying is not crazy. It's like, it's crazy to see this and pretend like everything's okay. Yeah, and I suppose there's a. It is important to ask whether it's true or not, and but that's almost a separate issue. I mean, the the first point is: Do they think it's true? Do the people doing this think it's true? I mean, I guess for us, it's 
it's important to know the reality of it because it's the difference between um, are we are we fighting against human beings who are completely deluded and wrong in what they believe, or are we fighting against something other than humanity here? I'm not sure. I, to be honest, I don't know what I think about that anymore. Um, so much of what's happened over the past couple of years seems to me like uh, that there are so many parallels with um, the idea of sacrifice, human sacrifice, I mean, of the dark kind, you know. Uh, there's so much ritual involved. And essentially what the policies have meant is governments saying, we're going to kill this big group of people here because we think it will save these people over here, or it's more like we think it will placate this virus entity. We've, you know, it's like um, what you know, like what all the ancient civilizations were doing in South America at one time, uh, sacrificing children to the sun god. It, it all has that essence about it that seems very dark and occult to me. Um, it's as if they've initiated this kind of human sacrifice ceremony on a global scale, got everyone to go along with it without really realizing. Um, the masks are part of that, you know, the, the, the language that they get everyone to repeat. Um, in this country, we had this bizarre thing where every Thursday night, you were supposed to go and stand outside your house and clap and cheer for the health service. And it just felt like this weird cult thing that was going on. And again, people didn't really seem to think it was odd, an odd thing to do. But um, I worry about that. And then, uh, of course, the injections and what they're doing and how they are altering people's genetics, um, fundamentally changing who we are as human beings, our very nature on, on a microscopic level. Um, that idea goes back thousands of years in satanic worship and, and the, um, it's almost like the, you know, the biblical story of the fallen angels, um, breeding with humans and changing their genetics is a sort of early version of that idea of, um, corrupting humanity, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're, they're called uh, the Nephilim, I think you can find them. Nephilim, in the yeah. Book the, of the, uh, Genesis, I think. And yeah, I mean, something weird is going on. And I've always, I, I'm a Christian, so, you know, people don't have to agree with me. But like I said, uh, in that interview with Cynthia that I did, I was in Geneva and I actually, I visited, I went to a meeting of Lutz's Trust, the Lucifer Publishing Company, founded by Alice Bailey, who believes yes. that Lucifer is the Messiah. And they're right. a, a accredited NGO, part of ECOSOC, the United Nations, and they're they say that he's here and they're preparing for his return. So it's like they're part of the UN. These people. It's like again, it's not because it's it's not theory. It's conspiracy. Um, and I, I wanted to get your thoughts. Um, I, I, as you outlined that, you know, I've spoken to C.J. Hopkins. I'm sure you've read his work. He calls it. I think he calls it the Covidian uh, cult, uh, branch yeah. Covidians. 
uh, and so on. So yeah, we definitely have this cult-like atmosphere. That's one of the reasons I refuse to wear the mask. It's just, I can't, I feel like spiritual, mental uh, oppression, but um, your arts, I feel that, you know, I, I'm wondering, I, you've probably gotten, you know, some in, insults thrown at you, but I, I would assume that's minor compared to, to with, with all of the good stuff, uh, you know, people con congratulating you, good vibes sending your way. And uh, I, I find that your art also helps keep me sane because it, it's, it's great and it signals, signals to me, oh, I'm not crazy. Like, there's more yeah. of us. And, you know, if you want to speak about your art and perhaps the impact that, that, that it's had. Yeah, that's nice to hear because, that, you know, that's a big part of what motivates me. Um, you know, sometimes... Um, Sometimes I'm trying to ridicule the other side or attack the other side. And, and sometimes I'm just almost just working for our side of this, you know, um, because it's important. You can't, you can't just be negative and cynical all the time. Sometimes you have to channel that positive energy, that optimism, um, and to remind people of the good things we have and what we, the values we shouldn't forget. And obviously they, if those cartoons, kind of prove to be just as controversial sometimes um but i've i've uh, built up this amazing new audience of people over the past couple of years um i realized quite early on that the, the my growth in popularity wasn't really coming from people who read the newspaper when i was still at the newspaper it was all these different people from all over the world who who shared the same position on what was going on and um it's been a really um uh, amazing enriching kind of creative journey i suppose and changed the way i see my work and what it's for and um who i'm doing it for uh i'm not you know i'm never gonna change the world with a cartoon i'm not going to stop the people who are doing these things but it's sort of um the only tool i have in a way so i have to use it to 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 its fullest you know to maximum potential and the thing is i even before i lost my job with the paper i kind of realized that i couldn't do that if I stayed there, if I was still working for a mainstream paper, I couldn't push things as far as I felt I needed to. I couldn't say the things that I felt needed to be said. Because, um, you know, cartoonists are supposed to uh, be like the court jesters in medieval times, you know, supposed to be allowed to mock authority and say things that no one else is allowed to say. I mean, generally you can get away with things in a cartoon that you can't get away with even in a column, a written column on the comment pages of a paper because you're using that, that different medium, you know, because you're saying it through visuals. It's a lot harder to argue with. Um, you don't have to be as explicit or you can kind of um, suggest things in a, in a different way and um that that uh is is quite a valuable thing in these times to be able to do that they hate creativity these people they really despise creativity because of the way it connects us with our spiritual side and the way that um 
art, you know, any good art teacher will tell their students that being good at drawing and being good at art is not about looking at something and observing it and then reproducing what you're looking at. It's about a process of actually seeing something, of peeling back the layers and getting to some kind of underlying truth. And I think cartooning has a particular strength where that's concerned, where you can try to really get to the essence of something and show people what's behind it. And um, that's all I've tried to do really with all of this is to, uh, and I, and the thing is, um, as you say, I think it's helped a lot of people to feel like uh, they're not going mad and they're not alone and um, to better understand the nature of what's happening. But that's why I do the work for myself as well, because the process helps me to make sense of things and work out um, what is my perspective. You know, what do I think is is really um, the crux of the matter? Where, where, what's the danger here? Where could we be headed? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's cathartic and therapeutic for me too. Yeah, that's kind of why I do this podcast as well and why I curate my Twitter and, and Telegram feeds. Is It's first for myself. People don't get it. It's like... I don't care if you like it or don't like it. People say, oh, I'm disappointed you post posted this article because I mean, I have to look at, you know, when we look at the stuff in Ukraine and with Russia, I'm reading from all different sides, propaganda, disinformation, truth, and people, I'm disappointed you posted it. I'm disappointed you had this guest. Well, I don't care. I'm doing this first for me to try to figure out, I think this person has something to say. I can learn from them uh, and, and, and so on. And also to say your recent uh, cartoon was... Uh, had Macron, and it said brutality, brutality, brutality. I, I read it as basically the globalists won again in the French elections. And um, also, I think with your cartoons, you maybe you can't change the world, but you can change the people who can change uh, the world. And you, you had also a recent cartoon is, with a son asking his father, what happens in the end? We win, he says. Uh, so are you, are you optimistic? And you know what should we do? How do we resist? How do we fight, fight back this in, insanity that's that's in, in front of us? I am optimistic. I suppose um, the big question I have is uh, what do we have to go through <laughs> before we get to that point? You know where where we win. I think we will win. I think that truth and and goodness and uh, uh, humanity always prevails but i think this time we might have to really go through hell to get there we might have to really put up with some incredibly hard times and and find an awful lot of courage and resilience um there's the i think we keep digging away we keep exploring these different avenues of thought like you were saying about people complaining about having this guest or that guest, I think that's a problem we have. It's one of the symptoms of why we're in this situation because people feel like um, they don't trust themselves or they don't trust everybody to have all of the different information available to them at once. Even if a lot of that information will be false, it will be propaganda, it, you know, it will be misleading. But 
show people everything and trust them to decide for themselves, trust them to find the truth in between those things. You, you're never going to get to the truth if you if you don't have everything in front of you to, to be looking at and exploring. Um, we have to keep making connections with people and, and finding each other, and that's something that I feel is happening more and more. Um, where there's it feels like a, a bit like an organic kind of process um you know one of the nice things one of the things that makes me optimistic is the other side of this has been planning it i think for such a long time they've put people very carefully in place they're all connected through bloodlines and family connections and what schools they went to and all this stuff and then our side is just we've just kind of been drawn towards each other. People didn't know each other at the beginning of this, or people thought they were from completely different walks of life. And some kind of force seems to have connected us and drawn us together. And I think that's a reason to feel good about this. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we'll win, but I think that um, we need to be, we need to be prepared for, hard road ahead you know um we have to be prepared to lose some things you know to win that's the thing uh yeah. i know that's difficult but um i knew that i had to be prepared to lose my job for example because uh, i understood how big this was how powerful and um if you're not prepared to lose something you know, you you might as well not bother doing anything, I guess. I, I think that's, I mean, there are some people who, I don't know how you feel as a Christian, but some people, and I, I, I'm not, I don't call myself a Christian. Um, at the moment, I used to, then at one time I'd describe myself as an atheist. I wouldn't do that now. Now I'm not quite sure where I am, but um, there is a certain view of, um, this sort of Christian idea that, well, uh, Jesus is coming, God's coming back to save us so we can just sit back and twiddle our thumbs and um, not worry, let it all wash over us. And uh, I find that I don't, I don't really agree with that. I think that's dangerous. And I sort of feel more like um, if we are going to be saved by somebody, we have to prove ourselves worth saving, you know, and that means doing something it doesn't have to be something very big, but you have to take a stand somewhere at some point, you know, to, however you can. Yeah, I would disagree with, uh, I mean, I would agree with what you said and past the uh, Christians that I've interviewed, like Patrick Wood, the expert on technocracy who's Christian or Arthur Pawlowski, the Canadian pastor who was in prison. They both said the same thing. And I agree with uh, as well that even if this is coming, we always, it's been our duty since time immemorial to fight tyranny, to fight evil, to fight for justice, for truth, for uh, peace. And, and, and what you said, you know, I'm, I'm prepared. You said being prepared to lose your job. Yes, of course. I'm prepared to lose my life in a sense. I've always been that kind of person where I think it's that level of preparedness. That's what often what has changed the course of history. You look at like the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who had fled during the Nazi regime to the U.S. He could have stayed in New York. But he decided to go back into the frying pan. Um, he conspired to take out Hitler. Uh, 
they failed um and he was he was hanged after the war ended they hanged him anyways or you know martin luther king's the kennedys the two kennedy brothers these types of people who are willing to lay down their 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 lives to push back uh, you know they can at least give us some time you know they buy us some time by pushing back this this evil and so yeah i think it's it's a hard road ahead but you know i don't know i don't know what else to say if you have any final thought for us and then also to tell us uh what's the best way to to find you and support you uh final thought i think um Bear in mind the things that these people hate and the things that these people are afraid of. Like I said, creativity and spirituality is one of them. And love, I mean, in the sense of the purest form of love. Uh, you know, love um, in a sacrificial sense, in the love you feel for your children, not, not, a, not a selfish, vain love um, for oneself, but that, that real love is something that they don't understand and they're terrified of it. And if we can harness that, uh, it's the most powerful force there is. So try to, try to focus on that, I would say. And um, they, they're taking a lot of risks as well. We should remember that, you know. Their their um their plan, although carefully orchestrated, I think, and probably years in the in the making, um, it's not a foregone conclusion. And I think there are a lot of uncertainties, a lot of things where they don't know how it's going to play out. And um, don't we mustn't miss our opportunities, you know, because there'll be times when they overstep the mark or they drop their guard, and, and we've got to make the most of those uh yeah so my stuff you can find uh on my website which is bobmoran.co.uk and i'm on twitter um at bob's cartoons is my twitter handle uh and what else i'm on instagram as well um getter and telegram yeah i i, prefer, I tend to use telegram a, a lot and so i catch your stuff on telegram uh as well as twitter i retweet it there and then i make it a point to go to facebook and share it from uh your facebook as well it's been great uh chatting with you uh i think this is the first time i've had a cartoonist but i love having people from all walks of of life and uh as well you know you, for having you explain what's going on i think it's 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 important and yeah it's it's cool keep up the great work don't don't stop and yeah. Uh, thanks for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Great to speak to you. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help Geopolitics and Empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms. Odyssey, 
Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.